Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, ready to answer your questions, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Pastor, we are going to start out tonight's episode with a question that is a carryover from last week. We had a caller who called in asking about Isaiah 66.23, which says... And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Pastor, can you explain what is in reference to the Sabbath or the significance there? Yeah, I think if they um, read the chapter carefully, we can't do the whole chapter. But if you read the chapter, really, it's a, a kind of a summary chapter of all the major themes that Isaiah had been uh, teaching throughout his book, which is 60 chap- 66 chapters. So in this final chapter, he's, he's pulling all the different strings that he's been teaching. In verse 1 and 2, he's talking about the greatness of God. For example, in verse 3 and 4, he talks about the empty religious uh, rituals that the Jews were doing and, his, and God's response. He saw them with abomination. In verse 5 and 6, he talks about God's repaying his enemies, verse 7 and 11. Uh, he's going to deliver Jerusalem, verse 12 to 17. He talks about the coming judgment with fire, verses 18 to 20. Uh, he regathers and restores his people from different parts of the world, from Spain, from France, a place called Tarshish, from Libya, uh, from um, Eastern Europe, which is Tubal, and also from Javan, which is Greece. And then the part that he comes to is the la- verse, last part, um, uh, verse 22 to 24, he's talking about the certainty that judgment is going to come, and uh, he reassures Israel in in those verses. If you read verse 24 to 20, uh, 22 to 24 for just a moment. Isaiah 66, 22 to 24 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. In verse 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me, for the worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be abhorring unto all flesh. Okay, if you, um, it's talking there about the fact that this is dealing with the restoration of Israel and the kingdom to come, which is the millennial kingdom. And the Lord is saying uh, to Israel, because at this stage Isaiah wrote this book, and of course he, he was scattered then because of the Babylonian captivity, there seemed no hope. 
and he's saying to them as the uh, as far uh, you know so far as the new moon and the earth which he's going to put in remain uh, in the future going to do in the future Israel will remain and, and uh, she will never be destroyed nor, nor her descendants her name and her descendants will always remain and, and then he's going to fulfill his promises he made to Israel and remember that during the millennial kingdom um, you're going to have the restoration of the temple we find that in uh, Ezekiel chapter 40 and to the end of the book of Ezekiel and in other scriptures as well. We know that the the rituals, etc., are going to be restored in Israel. So basically, he's going to fulfill all his promises he made to Israel during the Millennial Kingdom, which would inf- include the, the whole matter of the Sabbath and the moon, new moons and stuff like that. So this is something that's yet futuristic in relation to Israel. This has nothing to do with the new heaven that is going to be created in the book of Revelations, chapter 21. But our Lord is saying, just like uh, the new heaven that you make shall never shall remain forever, he's saying that Israel name and Israel's population and the descendants will never perish. She's reassuring Israel that as sure as there's going to be new heaven and new earth, you will never perish nor your descendants. And then I will fulfill all those promises uh, that he's talking about. So it's really a million. It has nothing to do. What I think the person has gotten confused with because the, the, uh, the new heaven and new earth is mentioned, he's thinking that the Sabbath will be part of the new heaven and new earth. But that's not what he's teaching. It's basically saying, so far, so as the new heaven and new earth which I will make shall remain before me, so shall your descendants and your name remain before me. So he's just reassuring them that the guarantee of a new heaven and new earth, uh, just as much so their, their future security is guaranteed and their continued existence is guaranteed and all the promises that were, were made to Israel are going to be fulfilled in relation with the temple and the restoration of the, 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 the sacrifices, etc., etc., so this has nothing to do with uh, the, the Sabbath going into the new heaven and new earth. Because the other thing is this. When you study the new heaven and new earth in the book of um, Revelation, there's no sun. There's no moon. So the new moon, there's no need for new moon. It said that uh, the Lord would be the, the sun and the, and, the Lord, the, and the Lord Jesus would be the one that would shine. So there'd be no, there'd no, there'd be no days uh, in the new heaven and new earth, quite frankly, because there's no night. Mm. It's just one day. So it has no connection whatsoever. But if you don't read it carefully, you can see people thinking, well, wait a minute. So you're going to have the new Sabbath, the have Sabbath in the, in the new heaven and new earth. But that's not what the prophet is teaching. He's just, again, I'm repeating, he's saying just that the new heaven and new earth is guaranteed to, 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 to never perish. Even so, Israel and her descendants and her name will never perish. God's plan for Israel is going to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled during the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, you remember in the, I think we quoted last week, I think it was in the book of uh, Luke, where the promise was made that the, the, the Lord would sit on the throne of his fa- father David. That was a promise made when Jesus was born. That was never fulfilled. He has to sit on the throne of David uh, to fulfill that promise, and that will take place during the Millennial Kingdom. You're listening to That's Truth. It is a live call-in program, and we thrive off your interaction. If you have a question, we would love for you to call and ask it. You can call 1-268-462-7420 to be put live on the air. That phone number, again, to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. And thank you to the individual who called in with that question from Isaiah 66 last week. Uh, Nathan, I just want to point out something. This is where all the a lot of the denominations have gone wrong in their teaching on Bible prophecy. For example, the JW have no place for Israel 
in their theology. The Seventh-day Adventists have no place for the nation Israel in their theology. The Reformed theologians also have no place for Israel in their theology. And that's why when it comes to the matter of eschatology or dealing with Bible prophecy, they have to allegorize Scripture. They can't take the Scriptures literal, and they take all the promises made to Israel and apply them to the church. And therefore, they're always deficient when it comes to this whole matter of Bible prophecy. Maybe you don't want to call and be put live on the air, but you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question. You can do that also. You can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. You say, but Nathan, I'm not a Baptist. I'm not even sure that I would be considered a believer. That's not a problem. We are honored that you are listening to the program tonight. And sitting across the desk from a pastor is nodding his head as I said that. Mm-hmm. This is a safe area in the sense that we are here to discuss the problems of life, the concerns that you have, and to answer them from the Bible. Pastor, why do we use the Bible as our source of answering these questions? Well, the Bible is God's Word. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Uh, if you read what uh, the Apostle Paul said in Second Timothy, I think it's chapter 3, that all Scripture is given by inspiration and is powerful doctrine for correction, for instruction, righteousness, for reproof. So, uh, and you know, we've said that before, it tells you what is right, tells you what is not right, how to correct what is right, and then how to keep right, basically. Every single um, problem that man has, there is a biblical solution to it. Uh, Peter tells us that God has given to us all that pertains to life and godliness. So what we need to live a godly life and to live this life successfully is within the parameters of Scripture. And that's why we use the Bible. It's the only final authority on these matters. And there is one other way that you can interact with us on the program tonight, and that is through Facebook. And Facebook is even more interactive than you WhatsApping your question because you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and right there on your device, whether your device is big or small, you can watch the program behind the scenes, you can listen to the program, and right there in the comment section on your device, you can comment your question, and we will pass that along to Pastor in a timely manner live on the air. Maybe you're saying, I don't have a question, but I think you should discuss, and you fill in the blank, this particular topic in a future episode of That's Truth. Listen, please do not hesitate in sharing that with us. We are wanting this program to be as practical as possible, and the best way to do that is for you to share what you are discussing around your dinner table, in your living room, maybe on your way to work in the bus. We want to know what is heavy on your heart what are those uncertain areas of life? Maybe it's a difficult question that someone has asked you about the Bible, or maybe it's not even about the Bible, but about life, and you'd like to know what the Bible has to say about it. Please share with us. You can WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. We have a question that came in this afternoon, Pastor, and this one actually comes from the U.S. Hello, Pastor Murphy and Brother Nathan. How would you reply to a preacher who says that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18, the view that Christ was the rock and not Peter was not held until the Reformation? Secondly, he says that the argument made about Petros and Petra is not valid because when Christ spoke, he didn't speak Greek, but he spoke Aramaic, and in Aramaic, 
the two words are used interchangeably. Not his exact words, but that's the essence of his argument. I'll be listening. Well, look, I don't have the research capacity at this point in time to give you the whole history of the verse of when it was used and when it was not used. Um, what I think that really matters in this whole this whole question is not whether or not it was interpreted one way before the Reformation, Reformation, uh, Reformation uh, and another way after the Reformation. What should concern us is which is the proper interpretation. So whether it was pre-Reformation or post-Reformation is the immaterial matter. Um, and remember that um, I suspect that the person who is, is preaching this or teaching this has to be a person who is perhaps looking at the Scripture from a, uh, a Catholic presuppositions that an actual fact that this reference has to do with Peter. And also remember that the Catholic Church did not start before 590 A.D., so there was no Catholic Church until 590 A.D., so just bear that in mind. Um, uh, so what really matters, as far as I am concerned, is um, what does the passage teach uh, within the Greek language? Remember further that the Bible uh, is given to us and came to us in the, in the Greek language, the original in the Greek language. Now, the Lord had different languages that he could have used, or four different languages he could have used in that time. You had the, the Hebrew, Hebrew, he could have used the Aramaic, could have used the Latin, but he chose the, the Greek language because that was the, uh, the common language uh, of the time. Um, so I think it is by divine providence that the Bible was given to us, the New Testament was given to us in the Greek language, because no other ancient language uh, that is as precise and as grammatically able to express New Testament truth, like the Greek language, the grammar, the syntax, um, just the sheer precision of the language makes it uniquely fitted to deal with all the great truths that you find in the New Testament. No other language would have been able and capable of expressing them the way it was expressed in the New Testament. So I think that's a factor that needs to be borne in mind. Uh, the other thing is this, but to, to suggesting that um, um, Petros and Petro uh, could not have been the words that Jesus used because he spoke Aramaic. Uh, remember that in the in Israel there were three different languages that were spoken. There was Aramaic language, there's the Hebrew language, and also the Greek language. So it is it's not correct to say that Jesus could not speak Greek if he spoke Greek or not. But that's immaterial. The the other thing the other thing that's being suggested is that there are no subtle distinctions between uh, words like Petra and, and Petros in the Aramaic language. But uh, when you look at the fact that uh, Matthew wrote the gospel in Greek language, and he certainly would have picked up the nuance that our Lord used in that particular passage, where he said, Thou art Peter, Petra, small stone, and upon this Petra, big, huge stone, I will build my church. Uh, clearly he saw there was a distinction between the two, and therefore used two different Greek words to make that distinction. Uh, and remember that the words within the Bible are not accidental words. Uh, these we believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible that every single word written in the scriptures are designed by God and was put there by God for a distinct purpose. So it's not that this was something accidental in that regard. So we have to believe in the 
inspiration of the scriptures and the preservation of scriptures and the fact that the Lord chose the Greek language to convey New Testament truth and Peter wrote in Greek language uh, it, we must not just uh, bypass that as though that was something accidental and then try to find some silly answer in the future to explain why it is out of touch with what I presuppose is the Catholic doctrine okay um, that is the other thing I would like to say um so if you look at the word that is used in the, the passage, uh, when he said, no, at Peter, small pe- Petros, uh, small stone, and upon this Petra, big, sto- big huge stone, I will build, build my church. The Protestant Reformation and every um, Baptistic or, or every um, pro- Protestant group interpret Petra to refer to the confession that Peter made. You're Peter, Petros, and you have made this massive confession, Petros, which is, what was your confession? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So you've identified that the Messiah is God's Son. This is the important truth upon which Christianity is built. So that's the picture on which Christianity is built. It's built on the person of Christ. And the confession that you made summarizes who this person is. It's upon this Petra that I'm going to build my church. Uh, that is what the significance of that. And when you come to Scripture you find that's exactly what the Bible teaches. For example, uh, Nathan, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, 9 to 11, you'll find that Christ is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. Chapter 3, verse 9 to 11 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every one take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the foundation. It is very, very clear that the foundation of the church, uh, of the church is Christ. The other thing is that Christ is not only the foundation, he's also the head of the church. Look at um, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1, 20 to 22. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22 says, which, we, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him... to be head over all things to the, to the church. church. So he's not only the foundation, he's the head. Another important passage, uh, Nathan, is uh, Colossians 1, uh, 17 to 19. And that says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Okay, it's talking about he is the head of the church there and all his preeminence in every every aspect. Again, that confirms not only his first um, Corinthians, he's the foundation, he's also the head. But he's even more than that. He's the cornerstone. If you look at First um, Peter chapter 2, 6. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 reads, 
Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Again, if we had time, we could go back to Isaiah 20, 28, verse 11, which speaks about this as a profitable he be the cornerstone. And you know the cornerstone is where you take all your measurements from, quite mm-hmm. frankly. It's the keystone. So he's not only the foundation, he's not only the head, he's the cornerstone. And uh, that shows you that the entire uh, um, Christianity is not some dogma or creed. It is Christ and who he is, that he is the Messiah and he's the son of the living God. He's God the Son. This is the critical truth about what makes Christianity uniquely distinctive from any other religion, uh, that Christ is God's Son and that he is the promised Messiah that uh, is prophesied in the Old Testament would come and die for human sin. And this is the foundation. Uh, Peter would be the one that would be given the keys to open the door to the the, the Jews in in, in um, Acts chapter two is his preaching that lead to the, the Jews coming into the kingdom, and then he's used the key again in Acts chapter ten when he in, uh, he leads Cornelius to the Lord mm-hmm. and becomes the first Gentile. So Peter Peter is being used, and he is the stone that is being used in that. But he's not this. He's not the Petro. He's the Petros, the small stone. The other thing is this. How did Peter see himself? Look at 1 Peter 5.1 and see exactly how Peter saw himself. 1 Peter 5.1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Okay, read the next verse. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but a, of a ready mind. The point is that in the first verse, Peter said, I'm writing to the elders, and I am also an elder. What's an elder? The elder in the Bible is, is the same word as pastor. The, the word elder, the word bishop, and the word pastor are synonymous terms. So Peter is saying, I see my role my role is, I'm a pastoral role. I'm a, an apostle that goes around, but I play a pastor. Why? I noticed that Peter said, what? feed my what? Flock. Feed my sheep. Go to John chapter 20. And look at verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. John chapter 20 and verse 15 says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Chapter 21, sorry. Chapter 21. Chapter 21, yeah. verse 15. 15, 16, and 17, yeah. All right. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Read verse 17, verse 16. Verse 16, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. That's his role. His job is to perform a pastoral role, feeding the sheep. And now he writes to these uh, other believers in First Peter, and he said, Look, I'm writing to you, elders. I'm also an elder. And he's exhorting them to feed the sheep. 
because that was his task as a, 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 a pastor, a, a, um, apostle, basically, to feed the sheep. That was Peter's task. He's never supposed to be a pope. He's never supposed to be the head of the church. He was just, he said, I'm just like one of your elders. He's, he's putting him on the same plane as these other elders in the church. And he's giving them the same uh, mandated command that was given to him by the Lord. Feed the sheep. That's the job of the shepherd. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Feed. That's what Peter was. Uh, so I'm just trying to say that uh, the teaching that uh, this here is a passage that uh, only the Reformation is, is completely immaterial, whether it was a, a, a discovery that was made. Remember that the Reformation uh, brought back to light a lot of the truths that were hidden during the Dark Ages from about 500 A.D. until um, about uh, 1500 A.D., a thousand years of what's called the Dark Ages. I remember a lot of truths were lost then at the, the Reformation. For example, the priesthood of the believer. That was a lost truth, that every believer is a priest before God. The Catholic Church had thought that there was a special group called priests, and you must go to priests and confess. The, the reformers said, no, 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 we're all priests before God, as the Bible teaches. Salvation by faith was lost. Uh, the Catholic taught salvation by the sacraments, by baptism, by works. And that was a great truth. The biblical doctrine of the mode of baptism was also lost. They sprinkled. They, they did everything. I think the, the, the reformers called back to the immersion. Uh, the biblical teaching on the Lord's Supper was lost. They were saying transubstantiation. That when the, the priests prayed hocus pos s, suddenly the bread was changed into the body and the wine was turned into the blood. The Reformation said that's all um, false and it's just a symbol of Christ's body and his and his, his, his blood that was shed. So and then also during the, the dark ages the truth about Israel was lost. No church persecuted the, the, the Israel, Israel more than the Catholic Church because they had um, felt responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. And that's why the, the Jews are so antagonistic towards the Church because throughout its whole history, uh, the Catholic Church persecuted them because of what happened after uh, Christ's death on the cross. And of course, when it comes to biblical authority, that was lost as well. They had put tradition and the infallibility of the Pope on par with Scripture. So to say that the um, this discovery uh, about the fact that uh, Peter is a small rock and the petrol is the confession of Peter uh, was discovered during the Reformation, therefore there's something wrong with it. It's absolutely not, not it's, 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 it's bogus to make that kind of a statement because a lot of the great truths that were lost in the thousand year between 580 to, to 1500 AD uh, were once again re-examined because the, the Reformation called us back to not allegorize the scripture, but to apply what is called the historical grammatical method of interpreting the Bible to take it very literally unless there's a clear indication that it's symbolic. And therefore, it brought a lot of these great truths back to light. And, and let me just say this. Remember that the same church that is claiming that there's no basis for saying that the, the, there's a difference between Petra and Petra. It's the same church that gave you relics, that introduced that into the church, that introduced Mariolatry, that introduced indulgences, that introduced purgatory, that introduced the idea of an infallible pope, that uh, talk about um, indulgences, etc., etc., and of course, introduced the rosary. Uh, so... Th um, 
all I would say to the person who sent in the question is the, the, the real issue is not who discovered the proper interpretation. Is it the proper interpretation that's in the Scripture? That's the issue. It wasn't whether it's was the Reformation or before the Reformation. Is it the proper interpretation? And in the Greek language, there is a clear distinction between the word Petros, small stone, and Petro. And it is not built on Petros, which is Peter, but on Petra. And this is Peter's confession he made that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. I hope that helps to clarify uh, the matter. But again, I suspect the person who made that kind of statement basically is a person who holds the Catholic doctrine and who holds to the fact that Peter was a pope when there's no, there's no historical or biblical support to the idea that Peter was a pope. Pastor, we have a individual who has called in. They're not on the air, but they would like you to share all of the passage of Scripture that refer to the rapture. And while you are gathering your thoughts, let me just draw uh, your attention for the individual who called in that question. Or maybe you didn't call in with the question and you are interested about knowing more about the rapture. You can, Pastor's done two full episodes on the topic of the rapture. And you can go to them by going to our website, radiolighthouse.org, and scroll down to the second large picture you see. It's a big microphone. You can't miss it. Right in the center, there's a circle that says podcast. Click on that. Then click on the link for That's Truth podcast in the archive. And look for episode 95 and 96. And those are two complete 90-minute episodes that were focused solely on the rapture. Yeah, I can't um, just riddle off my mind all the passages that deal with the rapture. Uh, I can just probably share a few quick thoughts on it. Um, um, the first one comes to Thessalonians, basically, that, that tells you that um, the Lord should descend from heaven with the shout of the archangel, etc., etc., and the dead in Christ uh, shall rise first, etc., etc. Um, I don't know if you could probably look at uh, that in the book of Thessalonians. When the first Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 4. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Skim through here. While we're looking that up, let me just remind you, you are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. If you're joining us on Facebook for this program, welcome also to you. And... You can interact with us. You can call and ask a question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Thank you for the interaction thus far tonight in the program. Or you can send a WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. What verse? Verse 13. Start at verse 13. First Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the first passage. The other one is, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. Um, 
verse 51 and following. All right. First Corinthians 15, 51. That says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, for this corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Yeah, that's a, another clear passage dealing with the, the man. And I notice a mystery. The idea of resurrection is not a mystery in any part of the Bible because the resurrection was thought in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. But the, 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 the rapture is one of those secrets that was kept that belong only to the church. And, and that is why Paul calls it a mystery. But there's no mystery that we're going to be resur- there's going to be a resurrection, but there's a mystery that the rapture is going to occur. The other thing I would say to the person very quickly without going to rehash a lot of what we've said before, there's always some Old Testament truth that illustrates a New Testament mystery. And the great example of the rapture is the translation of Enoch. Before the judgment came, Enoch was translated and taken up to heaven. The other example, I think, which is another example, is the, uh, the, the, um, when Elisha was taken up without uh, dying as well, taken up to heaven. Those are two classic examples of what the rapture would be. Uh, and it's an example of before judgment, the believers will be taken up before the tribulation period. Uh, so there is... Um, a Old Testament picture that p- points to it uh, in that regard, but there's, there's no teaching in the Old Testament in regard to the rapture happening and the believer can be snatched and the dead in Christ will be raised. That was never taught in the Old Testament. There's a general re- resurrection taught in the in the Old Testament that there's a general resurrection of the righteous and a general resurrection of the, the wicked. It's only when you come to the New Testament it makes subtle distinction between the, the first resurrection and the second resurrection and we discover that there are different stages within the first resurrection. Christ being the first fruits then after and then after. Uh, we've given that in the Bible as well. Those are some of the basic teachings on that. But again, I would probably, uh, maybe in the next program, I'm going to recommend one or two books that the person who's really serious about this particular doctrine, they can listen to the, what we've said before, but if they really want an in-depth on it, uh, they can actually go online and, and purchase the book or whatever. But there's several books that are very, very helpful in this regard. And I think that's probably the best thing to do at this stage, this point in stage. As we await your question, we are going to jump back into a topic that we started last week. And as we do, maybe tonight is the first night you have ever tuned into That's Truth. Welcome. It is a live interactive program, and we look forward to your interaction. As we set up this topic, I want you to imagine with me a young boy who is lonely, desiring friendship, comes from a broken home. He's wanting attention, and he begins attending a community club. He makes a few good friends, starts to get that attention from others that he's been craving, and he begins being mentored by one of the men at the club. And then, when he's least expecting it, his trust is broken, and it happens. In another city, there's a teen girl that is struggling in math class. She has just begun attending a new school. The math teacher at the new school is giving her all of the tutoring that she needs. Her math grades are improving. Her parents are pleased and praising her for the good grades. And then, when she least expects it, her trust is broken, and it happens. That's the thing about our topic tonight. 
You never know who is a victim, but it can shape a person's personality and friendships for life. It is said that our topic tonight can even destroy a person's marriage before it begins. It's a topic that is decried by not only the church, but also by the secular world. We're talking about sexual abuse of children. Pastor, for those who are just tuning in tonight, can you kind of give us a review of what we covered last week? Well, last week, basically, uh, we tried to introduce the subject. Uh, we're looking at what was a common definition on these matters about uh, what is abuse. And uh, we said it's any physical or visual or verbal interaction with a minor by an older person whose purpose is, is the sexual stimulation or to have sexual satisfaction. And by the way, it's not just adults uh, that this happens to. You can have a a younger child with an older child. Mm-hmm. That is also sexual abuse, like a six-year-old child with an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old child again. But the whole idea is that it's the physical or uh, visual or verbal, it's really about sexually stimulating the person or having some kind of sexual satisfaction. That's what the, the basic concept is about uh, um, about um, this amount of sexual And remember that a minor uh, legally defines a person who is below 18. Uh, so there are some jurisdictions may it might be 16. I think that's what they're trying to bring it down in the States, if I understand correctly. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. But I suspect as we get more evil and more wicked in this world, becomes more corrupt, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes down as far as 14 or 13. Because as long as you've got leaders in position uh, who are moral predators, Immoral predators, you're going to have this kind of loosening up on on uh, morality, etc., in the country, and therefore the laws will, will bend towards those who are who are in in, uh, in control, who make these uh, these particular laws. I hope it just happened in the Caribbean. Why are we discussing this topic, which many would consider awkward or uncomfortable, here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse? Well, the truth of the matter is that uh, you can't wait till abuse happen in your home or with your child. The reality is it's one of the major problems that kids are faced with. And uh, you, if you don't prepare yourself <coughs> and, and, and do some kind of research on it or find out what is happening, uh, you might discover to your the detriment of your child that you suffer the consequence of this matter. So you, there, you therefore can't wait for this thing to happen. You have to understand it's a real um, serious problem in society. And you, as a parent, are responsible for taking care of your child and protecting your child. And therefore, you have to uh, become cognizant of what is going on and take measures to prevent this thing happening uh, to your child. As Brother Nathan said, then this happens to a child. Uh, sometimes even the marriage is destroyed before it even starts. If I can share one example of this, when I was ministering in, in uh, St. Lucia, um, I was living... I can't say too much because people in Seleucia sometimes hear this broadcast. But anyhow, um, one person uh, came back with living overseas. Uh, a girl, lady came back. She was married and came back to confront her father. And the reason why it happened is that she, he had sexual abuse when she was a child. She was married. She was having children. And then for some no, re- no reason... When his wife, when her husband touched her, you know, different parts of her body, she had all these flashbacks, and it just came back to her. Uh, it actually destroyed her marriage. 
but she had to come back to the country to confront her father and let him know that uh, that is what was done. Uh, I know of other situations personally now where, again, uh, it did tremendous damage uh, to somebody who was who was married and had to confront, uh, again, the stepfather because of um, what he had done. It's such a common problem that um, it, you, you're almost a burden to think that something like this could happen to you. You don't even want to hear about it. You don't want to believe it's it's real. But you can't bury your head in the sand. This is a real problem that um, we face, and we have got to uh, prepare ourselves and prepare our children and uh, put preventative things in measure to ensure that it doesn't happen to our child. What if you could prevent it, but you never did? Yeah. You don't want to carry that guilt. So I think it's important. And one other thing, Nathan, is, is you know, it's not just something happening in the secular world. I think you also realize that uh, there are certain churches, in particular, where this thing is is very common, and uh, I don't have to mention particular names, and who have had to pay out millions of dollars to deal with this, try to rectify this problem because of uh, things that happened many, many years ago. So I am just saying it's a reality, um, and it's a perennial problem, a frequent problem. And the frequency of it is such that any sensible, reasonable person would know that this is an issue that needs to be discussed and need to be faced. And if you are blessed enough that it has not affected you directly or affected your family members, and you are saying, Pastor, I think you're overreacting. Let me just share this statistic with you. And this comes from a study done by UNICEF or the UN. The sexual abuse of children is high in the Caribbean in a survey of 16,000 students aged 10 to 18 years from nine different countries in the Caribbean, 47% of girls and 31% of boys reported having been subjected to sexual abuse. And that was a study done in 2003. So I am pretty confident in saying that statistically, as our world goes downhill, those numbers are probably higher. But you're looking at half of all girls and a third of all boys. Yeah. Uh, let me share some other things with you here, Nathan, as well. Uh, for example, um, every year in the U.S., there are 42, uh, sorry, currently there are 42 million survivors of sexual abuse in America. Now, think your population is about, what, 370 Three, million? 330, yeah. something like that. But I think about 42 million people having to deal with this mm-hmm. is a serious problem. Um the other thing I discovered is that 73% of the children who are victims of uh, abuse do not tell anybody within a year. So imagine having that child having to deal with that issue, at least carrying that secret for an entire year, sometimes even longer. Uh, 45% of them take five years before they actually share it, if they're going to share it at an early age. But it is said that 70% of all reported sexual abuse occur in children who are over uh, under age 17. So it's a very, 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 very serious problem. Uh, some other things that I found that uh, were interesting um, um, that I probably could share for just a moment. Um, I said We said last time that most abuse is by someone the child knows and trusts. Uh, what do you mean by that? 
as far, can you give us some examples? Yeah, a lot of people think that strangers are going to be scared. They, they're going to be looking up, but it's not stranger the stranger. Danger. Yeah, no, the stranger is not the problem when it comes to sexual abuse. Mm. It's normally somebody a child knows and the person trusts. That's the key to this whole matter, and that's what makes it such a cynicist matter mm. and needs such attention. Because, you know, if it was somebody uh, kidnapping our kids or or, or, sh- or killing our kids, we'd be on the on the on the watch out. But the fact that we 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 can be disarmed, not realizing that a friend that comes. Uh, from next door, a, a neighbor's child, um, um, some daddies, who are our mummies, whatever. Uh, we don't. We're not. We're not too keenly aware of that. See? So we need. The other thing is that um, children with disabilities are very, very much at risk, especially those who can't speak. Hmm. Right? When you're in a home. And you can't speak, and you've got people who, uh, and this is the danger. That's why I said to you, Nathan, that I think the camera needs to be put in places uh, where people have suspicions of these things, that these things happen, to give peace of mind to to parents. But uh, children with disabilities, especially who can't talk, uh, are also very, very common victims of this whole matter. Uh, Children in single-parent home, is another big one. And a single parent. Well, because often if you're a single parent home, it means that the child sometimes come home and there's nobody at home. Uh, it also means that the single parent, the child is not the the uh, is not the, the 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 child of the parents. Uh, boyfriend or girlfriend that creates another problem. The other thing, a child that is passive and quiet and uh, seem to be a loner, that's another person who is very, 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 very in danger. And children who are very trusting, um, you know, is another group that is very, very, very much in danger. Uh, They just don't, they're not suspicious, you know, that kind of thing. Um, The other thing that I've discovered is that the family structure is one of the most important risk factors in this matter. Children who live with two married biological parents are very, very low risk if both parents uh, are the child's father. And the risk increases when the child lives with a step-parent or a single parent. Uh, Children living without either parent, and they're living in a foster home, for example, are ten times more likely to suffer abuse than a child living with his parents. Wow. Uh, Children who live with a single parent that has a living partner is twenty times more likely to be a victim of abuse. And uh, gender also plays an important part. Uh, girls are five times more likely to be abused than boys. Uh, these are some scary, scary uh, statistics. Uh, the median age reported of a sexual abuse is nine. And generally, most vulnerable age for sexual abuse is between seven and 13. Those are things, if I had a child between those ages, etc., I'd be very, very careful in the, in this regard. But those are some of the real... Uh, serious matters. Non-working parents, by the way, the child is um, three times more at risk if the parent is, parents are not working. You can see why. Because uh, you know what happens to try to get food on the table. Uh, and the other thing I found was um, uh, uh, children who live in rural areas are two times more likely to be abused than those that live in the city. Mm. And I think because in the rural areas, you've got different places you can play in the yard, you can go, that kind of thing. I suspect yeah. that's the reason. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. 
Pastor, have you ever studied the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, which has a better understanding, a book written in the original language or translated from its original language? No, I've never studied the uh, Hebrew language. Um, I did Greek, but I never did Hebrew, so that's a confession I have to make. But what I would say to you is that the tools available to the average um, English-speaking pastor, the tools are endless. Uh, these are not the days where you have to actually know the, the language. You can get an interlinear, you can get the grammar, and there are books that are structured that every word has the a number and has a code that is linked to grammar that you can do, and you can tell what the grammar does. But I'm not proficient in the Hebrew language, and I do agree with you that any study of any language in its original form uh, there's far more insight into it than a person who doesn't have that. And that's the importance of studying the languages firsthand, if you have the aptitude for that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. As you were talking about how easy it is to get those tools in front of you, I just clicked one button in this Bible program that I have here for reading the verses and pulled up the book of Jonah, and every single word has a purple number and letter code behind it, and I scroll over it, and it's got all the the I won't even begin to try and pronounce the words or anything, yeah. but it's uh, amazing the tools we have. Do you think that the verse, to whom much is given, much is required or expected, applies in this? Yeah, I would think so. Look, uh, let's, l- let me just make a comment. That's why I say, and I've said this several times in the p- program, I would never attempt to come up with a new doctrine or new teaching without uh, finding out from somebody who knows the Hebrew or the Greek to get the spin of interpretation on that because I'm not that proficient in those languages. And that's where all of the major cults, every single one of them, uh, you take the Adventists, you take the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, none of those people who started those movements ever knew either Greek or Hebrew language. And as a result of that, a lot of the teachings that they, they, they brought into the, the, those movements were, 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 were uh, teachings that came either from the Old Testament without looking at the progressive revelation, uh, there were those who had no idea what the the the, uh, the word meant in the Hebrew language or the Greek language, and came up with their own spin on it. And that's where, in my judgment, most of the major cultic denominations, every single one of them, uh, with few, I can't think of any exception. None of those people who started uh, those that started Mormon Church, Joseph Smith had, didn't have a clue. About, about, he said he translated, for example, the Book of Mormon from Reform Egyptian. There's no such thing as Reform Egyptian, period. Okay, And of course, um, um, Russell in the JW, he went to court saying he knew, Hebrew, uh, knew Greek language and the judge hold up the, the Greek alphabet. He didn't even know alpha from beta. It's all in the court records. And of course, uh, Mrs. White, she had no, she had a, what, a fifth grade or sixth grade education. Yeah. She never went beyond that. And that's the that's the the the, uh, the the big mistake that is made frequently when it comes to these different movements. Uh, people who take the English version and uh, sometimes not understanding that you've got to get to the what the word means in the, in the Hebrew or the Greek language and then see the grammar of it to fully appreciate. Uh, in fact, let me use one example that came to my mind. Herbert W. Armstrong, the World Tomorrow Program. Herbert W. Armstrong said that nobody is saved. 
and the reason why he did that is because there, in the Greek language, the word for save is used in three different tenses. There's a sense in which you are saved, S-A-V-E-D, which is the Irish tense, which means it's a historical act that occurred that would never occur. There's a sense in which you are being saved, that is from your sins, what you call sanctification, and the sense in which you'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So there are three different words that are used, and he just didn't understand the difference between the three different uh, different tenses. As a result, he, and of course his movement now have retracted a lot of his teaching and have come out to be I think it's the only cultic movement that I know right now that reversed from um, heresy and have now embraced total orthodoxy. Mm. It's a, a, a profound uh, change that took place. So people who move away from that have now come to solid orthodoxy and teaching the Bible as it is, rejected his teaching about hell and about God, and now come back to the biblical teaching. I don't know if any other cult has ever done that than the, the Herbert W. Armstrong group, and they go on a new name right now. But um, that's part of the problem that we have today with all these cults. People starting things, don't even have a knowledge of the Greek or the Hebrew language, and then coming up with doctrine that is weird and uh, have no biblical base whatsoever. Thank you for the individual who sent in that question. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air by calling 268 268- 462-7420. If you have a question that you'd like to send, WhatsApp or text message, you can send it to 268-782-1454. And obviously, no matter what topic we are discussing, but especially as we're talking about a topic as sensitive as sexual abuse of children, your question, as it is sent in via WhatsApp or text message, we will not announce where it is from or any such information that would allow it to be tied back to you. Pastor, last week you were talking about the format of or the steps that child abuse... Yeah, Nathan, I just want to put in two other things I would just share with the audience very quickly. 84% of the sexual uh, victimization of children under 12 occur in their residence. 84%. 84%. Okay. Um... Uh, again, 71% of sexual assault of of children aged 12 to 17 occur also in a residence. And the the time generally is uh, that occurs most is noon and between 3 and 4 p.m. When parents now, are I, at work. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Uh, and the other thing is here, um, uh, one in seven incidents of sexual assault perpetuated by juveniles, not adults, occur on school days in the after-school hours between 3 and 7 p.m., and the peak time is between 3 and 4 p.m. Now, if I have that statistic as a parent, and I got a child, and I'm not at home during that period of time, it would be completely naive of me not to put measures in place uh, to make sure that uh, my child is, is somebody's there or whatever it is. You get my point? Yeah. These are things that parents just need to wake up and understand that life is not about making money and putting food on the table. It's about the character of the child and guiding the child so that in, in, you know you don't want the child to be so scarred early that it ruins his future. So I think these these are facts and statistics that I think are important for parents to look at. You just mentioned a phrase, uh, put measures in place. And I remember at the end of last week's program, there was a caller that called in and asked, for you to share some thoughts about what can the church do to ensure that 
sexual abuse does not happen to children. I am going to, uh, at the end of the series, uh, and this is, I'm, I'm going to actually give a whole list because I'm actually investigating that to see okay. because we've got to put some measures even in our church, yeah. quite frankly, and discuss. But a few things that, uh, uh, that I can think about is that um, parents um, need to uh, teach their children accurate names about their body parts. Okay, so that if you hear them using a term that is vulgar or common, you automatically know that something is going on. You know the proper body parts, what it is called. That helps you to gauge the kind of conversations that the child might might mention. And you say, "But where you got that from?" I, you know, I think that's one thing. Um, the other thing is. Uh, t- Teach children between uh, the difference between something that is okay with them and something that's not okay when it comes to touching different parts of them. You've got to do that with your child. And uh, again, the wife should do that with the daughter. The father should do that with the son. But let them know about, you know, this is, let me know if somebody touches you, where to touch you, that kind of thing. It's sad that we've reached a stage, to be honest with you. And it's, though there's a complete breakdown of trust in society. But that's where we are right now because of the commonality of this problem. And I think that teaching children these type of things is important. Um, the other thing is uh, teach children the difference between good secrets and bad secrets. Because a lot of times the person says there's a secret between us. Mm. Right, but the child doesn't distinguish between what's a good secret and a bad secret. So I think it's important to try to make you know use illustration and tell it. Well, this is a bad secret. This is a good secret. But because the language is used and it's so common with these kids, you know, uh, this is the secret between me, you, and daddy, and you know whatever is your uncle, and you, you must not tell anybody. And the child doesn't really know that you know secrets. Not we don't tell anybody, right. but he doesn't understand. There's some secrets that you should tell your mom. So I think you should make that kind of a distinction. Um, the other thing I would say, Nathan, is trust your instincts. If you see your child's reaction to somebody, and uh, I think uh, if the child seems to want to, you know, formally like to, be, and then suddenly want to withdraw, use your instincts that uh, you know. Try to read what is happening there and that, that kind of thing. But read your instincts in, in terms of the church as well. Uh, I do feel that I mentioned last time cameras, especially in the toilet area, especially in the nursery. No question about that. A camera should be in the in the nursery. Let, let me just ask that question because I know someone's mind uh, just said just you just piqued someone's interest. You're saying put toilets cameras in the toilet area? Well, when they go in, who okay. goes in? Uh, not, not to see what's going yeah, in, yeah. but see who goes in at least, Thank you right? For that because yeah, you, you need at least. Uh, even for schools, by the way, uh, I would even suggest that at this stage, the and in the primary school, mm-hmm. a lot of this thing starts in the primary school, primary age. I don't want to say too much, but there's a lot I can say that I know about. Quite frankly, that's happened uh, that I can speak about. But the, the thing about it that I think you got to, if the you don't have a maid or a janitor that monitors, you have to be, you should have something there. You know who goes in that kind of thing, right? Uh, you don't want to see what's going on, basically, but you want to see who goes in and stuff like that. The the other thing, Nathan, is that um, 
you've got to be careful that um, when a boy and a girl uh, in the same classroom, one leaves two minutes and then the other one leaves and they're both going to the bathroom. Those are things that teachers, et cetera, need to be, be, be keenly aware of as well. Uh, I mentioned last time, you know, watching your children when they play, uh, if you're going to have a neighbors or watch the age group, those kind of things. But I haven't worked out. In if, uh, I think we're going to have to teach the the people who are dealing with children. We have to do a, a, a much thorough background than we've been doing. Uh, they come and join the church, but we've never done any background. They volunteer to do this. But the time has come now where, because of the incidence of this problem, we have to look at it much more carefully on these matters. These are not things that I would have thought of, quite frankly, because I don't think these things would normally would happen. But because of the incidence of, of this is happening more frequently, we have to be more careful people who volunteer. And when you're having people who are in the capacity with children, have at least two people always present rather than one person. Those are some of the very quick things that come to, and I, I'm doing more research on it because I think we're going to have to come up with some kind of a, a pr- principles and guidelines for our church. Because the worst thing could happen to our church or any church if for something like this to happen, it almost scandalizes the church and tarnishes the church reputation. And people, of course, are always looking for an excuse for uh, tearing down the church. So we got to put some things in place to safeguard uh, these kind of things happening. One other thing that came to my mind as you were talking about some things that could be put in place is uh, a man or the opposite gender never being in a vehicle alone. Oh, yeah. Uh, like picking up for a youth group and that kind of thing. That just in the day and age that we live, it's almost scary how yeah. an accusation can destroy your ministry. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, for example, I think any person of any male that is driving uh, his home, whether it be church members or uh, the youth, I think if they're dropping women, especially going to drop the women late, last, okay, I think another person should be there with them, whether it be their wife or somebody like that, because these things happen, Nathan, they really, really happen. Mm-hmm. And it's possible for a driver, and uh, people don't know, he drops off all the boys first, and this last girl, he drops last, but this is this is something going on in between there. You just got to take precautions because the enemy is out there trying to destroy the work and the ministry. And all you need is one bad incident to happen, and your your ministry gone, your entire ministry gone. Mm-hmm. And pastors have to wise up to anticipate these kind of things and put things and measures in place to prevent these things. But I agree with you that that's a very serious one. As a matter of fact, I know of cases like that. Uh, I even know of cases where um, I had to confront a, a pastor who his his thing was dropping this lady, the lass, uh, all the time and then sit in the car and talk to her for a great length of time. When I discovered that, to me, that was one of the worst things he could ever do. And I confronted him on it. And of course, he's always upset, you know. But again, it's better that you be upset and, and put, your, put put on the guard than allowing the flesh to take the most of you because why would you drop a young lady and especially you're parked in the car on the outside and it's in a dark area? I mean, what was wrong? You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're talking about sexual abuse of children. Uh, I know that in relation to your keep referencing using technology in uh, safeguarding and protecting on the church premises, and I know there are many different opportunities, and I look forward to a further discussion in that as we continue this topic in future weeks. But I know that even in some large churches in the States, like when you turn in a 
not when you turn in your child to the nursery, when you deliver your child to the nursery at the beginning of church when you mm-hmm. arrive, you actually do a handprint scan, mm-hmm. and the only person that can take that child back out is the parent with that same handprint, and unless there is a prearranged notification that the other uh, the mother or the father, respectively, will be picking them up. Mm-hmm. And now that's more for making sure a child doesn't get kidnapped when you have a large yeah. church. But the same type of thing, I know a lot of churches in the States now are doing background checks before anyone is allowed to work, uh, work with children. And it's sad that we've come to that point, Yeah, but it's better to be safe, as you said, than to regret it later. Yeah, I I just hope that we don't have uh, any kind of a tragedy of that nature within the Baptist circle, for sure, because it would really hurt our ministries tremendously, especially when it comes to kids, man. So delicate, so tender, and can be ruined so easily. You were talking last week about elaborating on what the steps are, the usual format or steps that lead to the sexual abuse of children. You were talking about seduction. That could be one thing that stood out in my mind was you said it could even be as simple as getting the child KFC or befriending them through uh, sweeties and that sort of thing. Yeah, the reason for that, Nathan, uh, you've got to seduce a child. If you're going to have sexual abuse, you've got to somehow win her friendship, win her trust. And uh, so, quite frankly, they develop this friendship and this intimacy and progressively build up this this trust where uh, the child gives more liberties and more freedom and the the, and the thing about it as you as you seduce the child you're giving more pleasure Uh, sometimes it might be a hug sometimes it might be a kiss uh, sometimes it might be a chocolate but what is happening that is what the whole matter you're seducing that child uh, and given her preferential treatment, gives her bribes, um, maybe, you know, as a chocolate, KFC, cell phone, whatever it is. The whole idea is to seduce her. The second thing, uh, stage, Nathan, is, is stimulation. And, um, and this is where we are designed in such a way that we respond to anything that is pleasurable. And, uh, and, 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 and what happened when a person uh, tries to be uh, affirming and warm and playful and tender in touching and hugs uh, and rubs. Uh, children like that, quite frankly, when you're small. But again, if you have a prurient design, design behind all of that, it's an evil intent, a sinister plan, uh, that is stimulating the child, etc. And the child becomes more desensitized to where you touch her, becomes more vulnerable, and progressively, this kind of uh, activity advances uh, to become sexual activity. So there's increasing physical touch, physical encroachment on the different private parts of the child. But the whole idea is to stimulate, uh, and don't forget this, they're kids, and they're sensitive, like we're sensitive. I mean, parts of our body are sensitive. And when a person is, is uh, now seducing and now giving more pleasure and more pleasure and more pleasure, you're dealing with a child. If an adult can't cope with that, imagine what a, what a, how, how vulnerable a child is. Uh, and then the, the third thing that it eventually leads uh, to pleasure and sometimes pain and, and guilt 
and then there have to be silence once the, the a thing has happened from seduction to stimulation to the act there now has to be silence and the perpetrator normally silence the the victim by fear you know uh, this is our secret if you tell anybody something may happen to to me i might um if you tell your daddy you know you tell your mommy uh you know might break up the family uh daddy might go to jail um in other words the whole idea is to create fear so that the child and again which child wants daddy to go to jail hmm. which child wants the home to be broken up uh those kind of things so that you get this kind of fear that begins to develop and uh that is how the 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 child keeps this thing secret they're just fearful and the other thing is this uh they wouldn't believe you and i will tell them that you're the one that 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 that's pushed yourself on me you put that on a little child she can't reason i mean she's probably thinking or what boy's thinking well maybe he's right he's the adult he knows better than i am so there are a lot of things that the child is told quite frankly to keep this so this secret remains uh for quite some time as i pointed out to you sometimes a year um five years in many cases sometimes you're not even told until you're adults if you mm-hmm. discover later that people keep this for a very very long time by the way we said one in four is now known, right? The statistics says that that's only the tip of the iceberg. Wow. That there are far more, but more people are not talking because, you know, and I can see why that is. I, I mean, imagine if you had been boogered, I've been boogered. Who who you want to tell that to, right? And uh, same thing, put that apply to children. The same thing applies that, that, that particular way. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us for this program on Tuesday nights on the Facebook page of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And you can comment right there on your device when you are watching the Facebook Live video feed, and your questions will get asked to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner live on the air. If you're not on Facebook and you want to ask your questions via WhatsApp or text message, you can send them to 268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Pastor, what is... One last yeah. last one. I, I mentioned um, there's the seduction, there's the stimulating, and uh, there's the silencing, and then there's what is called suppression. This is where the child is hoping that somebody would somehow rescue them. Uh, but in this abusive relationship, they don't know how to tell, but they hope that somehow somebody would know what's going on. When the child senses that they are not rescued, they feel doubly betrayed. And when that happens, they surrender completely to the perpetrator and uh, become silently enslaved because if it happens once, it continues and continues and continues. It just doesn't happen one incident. Once it has happened and it's held for a long period of time, it happens again, it happens again. And you can imagine a child in that situation. uh, And then what happens then if it happens several times and he says to you, but if you now wait to tell people 
how come you didn't tell them the first time? So you must have enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed it. You put a child in that predicament, he feels so guilt, so guilty. So many of these people, by the way, the reason why they don't say because they themselves feel that they're the ones that, because they enjoyed whatever happened, they feel that they're partly responsible. But the kids need to be understand as a minor, you are not responsible for this thing. The adult is a person responsible, and that needs to be very made clear to the child, rather than make her feel guilty. No, you're not the one responsible. This is the culprit responsible. That's what needs to be told to the child as well. You keep uh, referencing um, her as the victim. Is it possible for him to be the victim, as well, far as <laughs> the victim to be a male also? Of course. We're talking about child abuse, but uh, because the incident is far more uh, common among but right. the, uh, men, boys face the same thing. I was in one island, uh, I w- probably shouldn't mention the island, but I was preaching, and I met a young man in the church who was feminine, very feminine in his movements and his conduct and how he carried his body. And I spoke to the pastor, um, you know, about him, and the pastor told me, quite frankly, his story. It was his uncle hmm. that um, had boogered him, and now he had turned in, become a, a, a young fella in his teenage, and he still had this feminine movement. Uh, and uh, one of the concerns was to how to bring him out of this feminine uh, behavior, et cetera, et cetera, because the guy was no longer involved in that activity, but because he had been involved for so long with his uncle, uh, he had developed this, he was he was playing a feminine role, uh, and that became a problem, how do we, how do we re-instill in him uh, masculine movements, et cetera, et cetera, and we talked about uh, doing some jogging and lifting weights and doing manly things to try to break that out, but that, that was a, a story in itself, but that was within the church, by the way. Uh, these things are real, brother. Very, 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 very real. We have a question that has come in via WhatsApp, and it leads perfectly into the next question I was going to ask you. Uh, thank you to the individual who sent this in. Pastor, are there things to watch for in adults that can indicate that they may be dangerous to the children? And have studies been done on this where we can also watch for adults who may be sexual predators in disguise? Well, generally speaking, uh, in terms of the profile for a person who is a sexual uh, perpetrator of uh, abuse, sexual abuse perpetrator, the vast majority of these people uh, often are, have been victims of abuse themselves. That, that's the thing. that uh, and it's, it's like, as I mentioned last time, what you call a generational curse. You know, it's like a guy who um, sees his mom beats his, his dad beats his mom, and he says in his mind, I could never do that. But guess what? He gets married, he repeats the same vicious cycle. So that's one of the main things about these people, that they have been abused themselves and they're perpetuated. Um, um, the, the other thing is, Nathan, the typical characteristics of an abuser, uh, they're normally people who are alcoholics or drug users. Uh, they tend to abuse their children. Sometimes they don't even know what they're doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, the other thing is that they have a lot of unsolved anger as a result of the fact that they themselves have been abused, and they try to bring out that anger uh, in dealing with uh, dealing with the other. They also are deeply involved in pornography. If they are watching pornography, they are very likely 
to become abusers of children. So that's another mark. Uh, the other thing is that um, step families is another big problem, another common perpetrated person with step families. families. So you've uh, mentioned that a couple of times. Uh-huh. And let me ask this on behalf of the lady who is listening and says, Pastor Murphy, I'm thinking about getting engaged to or married to uh, a man. I have children in the house. What steps should I take? How do I make sure that I'm not going down a path that I'm going to regret five years from now? What I would say to anybody who has children who is contemplating marriage, you cannot isolate the marriage from the children. Uh, What I mean by that is this. I think people get married without thinking of what are the repercussions of my children living in the situation. Normally when they're dating, it's okay. The guy gives the impression or whatever that, you know, he's going to take care of the children, he's good with children, etc., etc. But very frequently he doesn't want the responsibility of children. I can suggest, I I find that very, very frequently. It sounds good to to, to marry her to sleep, get in the bed with her. But when she has three and four children, you don't have to take care of. Very few men want to take on that response. They want to sleep with a woman, but they don't want the responsibility of children. So I would say to anybody who have children going into a marriage, uh, be very, very, very sure that this guy is willing to take on the responsibility of caring for your kids. If you cannot ascertain that, don't think twice about marrying him because you're going to just create more havoc in the children's life, etc., etc. The other thing is, if I'm going to do that, you need to get to talk to his mom or his dad. They know him better than most people know. So you've got to build a relationship with them and you're going to marry into a family in any case. So sit down and talk, man to man talk, woman to woman talk with with whatever it is and try to get that clear. Um, If he is going to a church, uh, the people in the church should know him fairly well. Talk to the people in the church and let him know you're going to do it. Don't go behind his back and then he think you're sneaking behind his back. Say, listen, this is a serious matter of marriage. I've got kids. I want to make sure that this is going to work. And uh, I want to be sure that you're the right man to marry, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to do some probing because I don't want my kids to regret this after I get married. So let me just tell you that I'm going to talk to your mom. I'm going to talk to your dad, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that it's important to, to do that. And, you know... If I truly love a woman and I want to marry her and she wants to do a background on me, quite frankly, go ahead and do the background. That's what love is about. We do it for immigration. <laughs> we do it for a job application. And marriage is even more serious than those. Yeah, and you know, you, you, I, wa- I would rather know that I'm not going to make a mistake and this is the right person than to go into a relationship that lasts for a month, two months, or a year and think of the, the damage that does not only to her. But what if I had built a relationship with the kids and that creates another trauma for the kids? Love is not about what is just for me. It's about what's in the welfare for the object of my love. So I've got to be thinking about the person that I'm going to get married, their their needs and their concerns more than mine. That's the, the uh, And the other thing I would say to you that if I'm the, the f- marrying a person who is not my children's father, um, when it comes to my daughter... Uh, I would have certain guidelines about that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want him in the bedroom or her in the bedroom when he's by himself. Uh, I don't want him going into the, her bedroom, etc., etc. Um, I, 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 I just, for my sake and for the harmony of our marriage, 
I, I, I just, I'm overprotective over my daughter. If it's a male, vice versa, if it's the opposite way. But I think that that thing had to be settled and let him know that way ahead, right? Etc., uh, etc. Et because if you don't put things in place, and you just go into a relationship and then you find out that he thought he had certain liberties because he's now the father he can go in at night and check on the kids and uh, uh, that kind of thing need to be very very clear and if if there's small children involved like small girls I mean like what, five six seven uh, I in my judgment I think the person to bear the girl is the mother yeah. person to bear the bo- young little boy is the father but uh, if it's a stepfather I don't think he should be involved in bathing the girl, which is not his daughter. I think, listen, human mind is so evil and so corrupt, and mm-hmm. sex is such a powerful force, and, and sight, again, is such a powerful force that we don't want to put ourselves or anybody in a situation where they're tempted beyond their able that could lead to catastrophe within the home and within the family. For the parent that is saying, Pastor, you have me really on edge. You have me really uneasy even about going anywhere outside of the home or even within the home. Can you give me some peace of mind? Well, look, the fact is the moral situation which we find ourselves in today is is something that we have to grapple with. We can't bury our heads in the sand and think it can't happen here. It happens, okay? Uh, Put your trust in God. Uh, Make your decisions in terms of your choice of a partner in line with the the qualities that God says you look for for a husband or partner in marriage. And uh, use very good common sense and be very open uh, on, on matters. Talk these things out with your children uh, in a very open way, a husband could be there, the, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, let your children know that they can come to you with any matter that need to be brought to you. And uh, unless you are, they're proven otherwise, that you would believe them. Okay? But we're living in a very difficult age, a different era, and I think the time has come for us to take more precautions than we did before, especially in light of what is happening. Uh but I know the danger of becoming so suspicious that everything now um, leads you to have doubts. and, and so You've got to balance that with trust in God, but at the same time, you're responsible to take certain measures to ensure that these things don't happen because they're happening on a very frequent basis and they're happening in places that you and I would never have thought possible. So we've got to be very careful. We have a WhatsApp comment that has come in. Good evening. I must say this topic makes me sick to my stomach as I even think about what some of these children go through. Sometimes, even though you know there's a God, you wonder, where is he? Imagine a child telling you he or she is being sexually abused, but the perpetrator is so skilled at grooming victims and manipulating with words, etc., they convince even the police and the courts that it's all in your head. Even though there's no uh, even though there's no penetration, there is still sexual abuse, much like covert narcissism, where no matter how much you try to explain... Whole ministry, I saw that. That's the only thing that stopped me, because I tell you it was embarrassing to see this person just pounded into my chest publicly, you know. I, I, I remember that day, there's like a... 
But again, all I was concerned about was the child's interests because the innocent person who I'm concerned about more, and I was thinking, you know, what if this is happening? The child can't say anything. And I couldn't live with that, Nathan. I just couldn't live with it. As a matter of fact, I, w- I don't want to go into details with that, but I just couldn't live with it. It just killed me. And I remember taking some steps and telling the, the person, I said, even if I got to go to court and deal with it, I would prepare to deal with it. I would rather uh, be proven wrong in the long term than this thing to be going on. And I, I, I am aware, and then nothing is being done. But these things happen. Anything else that you want to mention in relation to uh, the profile, if there is such a way we can quantify it that way, the profile of a sexual abuse predator? Uh, All I would uh, add to that, quite frankly, is just remember uh, that it is normally enough it is somebody you trust. That's all I would say to you, is somebody you, you, you want. You can put a spin how you want to put on that, but always remember it is somebody you trust because you're not going to allow your child who's somebody, to be abused by somebody you don't trust. Just think of what that means and let that be the final sibleth by which you, you use your judgment on these matters. What are some signs of sexual abuse? Well, there are normally broken down into four different uh, type of, of categories, and um, uh, I just want to perhaps mention some of these. Um, there are what you call physical signs of abuse, and then there are social signs as well, and there are also some um, behavioral signs that uh, people talk about. Um, let me just mention some of the, the physical signs when the child is, is being abused. Uh, one of the things is abdominal pains, okay? That is a factor. Uh, uh, bedwetting is another one. Uh, that doesn't mean because your child bedwet, no, that, that's the problem, but that is something that you need to be aware of. Uh, complaints about frequent headaches and frequent sickness that weren't happening before, but suddenly they got these headaches and this frequency. Um, genital itching, uh, yeast or bladder infection is something that, that needs to be looked at. Pain in urinating or defecating, because remember it's not just vaginal, sometimes it's anal as well that happens. Uh, urinary uh, or anal bleeding, uh, um, if you find, well, of course, if a child have a venereal disease of some kind, you know that something is going on there with that that matter. Pain and swelling in the genital area, s- torn or stained or bloody underwear or blood spots uh, as you're taking care of the child, etc., etc. Those are some of the basic uh, physical things that are involved uh, with with when it comes to the, the physical part of it. What about the social aspect of it? Well, when it comes to the social aspect of it, um, a child's defensive reaction to touch. She never, you could you could touch, but no, she f- you find that, you know, when you touch her, she just like uh, withdrawal or whatever it is. Uh, or you find that the child has a dependent clinging behavior on you that she didn't have before when a certain person is wrong now. Before, it wasn't the case, but when that person is wrong, they want to cling on to you. Avoidance of specific uh, persons or situations uh, is another one. 
extremely extreme modesty now is being demonstrated when it wasn't demonstrated before the child is much more careful now uh, that never used to happen fear of sleeping over at somebody how come uh, you don't want to go over no, no but t always wanted to go over before uh, premature sexual knowledge uh, you hear them using words or they're playing a game and you see that they, they're clearly doing things that is involved that they clearly have seen something and therefore they're acting out sexual acts even, uh, and not even uh, that's another factor involved in it um, uh, running away uh, withdrawal want to be secretive um the other thing is, Nathan, is sexually abusing other children. Uh, what's being done to them they don't want to do to other children. You wonder about how my child get to know that. Sudden drop in school performance and activities is another thing that, that needs to be, to be looked at. Uh, they were doing so well, and then suddenly the performance has dropped. These are things that, those are some of the social things involved. Uh, in this matter that you need to be looking at as a parent. And we have just right at a minute and a half left in tonight's episode. Uh, Pastor, a question I haven't asked you uh, throughout tonight's episode for the individual who's tuned in and says, someone encouraged me to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and they've been talking to me about becoming a child of God. What do they mean, and how do I become a Christian? How do I become a child of God? Well, if a person wants to become a child of God, the biblical term is that you need to be born again. You need to put your faith and trust in Christ. So when a person comes and asks about that, you've got to settle a few things. Number one, the important thing is to get that person to acknowledge the need of God. They need to know that they're sinners before God and need to know uh, what they need to do. So repentance has to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. And the other thing, of course, is, is to point them to Christ as the Savior who died for our sins and makes forgiveness possible, who remove our sins and imputes His righteousness to us. So it's a matter of repentance from sin and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's in just an essence what being a Christian is and how to be saved. Be sure you stay tuned for our episode next week as we, Lord willing, continue this topic and share more information and not only share facts, but share some biblical principles and some verses for overcoming some of the horrors of this world, including sexual abuse of minors. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast.
Looking forward to having you join us next time.